Hello and welcome. You are tuned in to the Alachua County Extension Cord Podcast, where we plug in and bring UF IFAS Extension to life. Today in the studio, as always, we have myself, Dr. Kevin Corris, Alachua County Extension Ag and Natural Resources Agent, and special guest today on this episode is Dr. Marcio Resende, and I hopefully said that correctly. He is a plant breeder um, in the area of sweet corn, which is awesome, in the Department of Horticultural Sciences at the University of Florida. And today uh, we have him here to talk with us about the mysteries of artificial intelligence. We hear this term everywhere, artificial intelligence. And it has many, many overall overreaching applications in, in all sorts of industries, but uh, we're, we're trying to see what it can do for us in agriculture. So uh, today we're going to get a little bit of an overview of, of what's going on there and then maybe a little bit of a more in-depth look at how we are using AI to select better sweet corn varieties. So Dr. Marcio, welcome. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the invitation. Great to be here and looking forward to, to the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. So everyone thinks artificial intelligence, right? So you've got like robots in the lab working for you. They look like humans, but <laughs> they're robots. Is that how it works? <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of people have this idea of artificial intelligence being like a movie-like mm-hmm. uh, Skynet from the Terminator. That's right. That's controlling uh, fully autonomous robots. Um, I think the reality is that as of today, at least, AI is a lot more constrained to limited tasks and things that can improve efficiency, reduce cost, and just have the computer help humans in, in limited tasks. Yeah, and in for the way I understand it is there's we, c- we can collect a ton of data, in, especially in plant science, and we're using them to help maybe crunch that data a lot quicker or, or load them up with mass amounts of data and they can make it make sense quicker than a human brain. Yeah, <laughs> to the layman's terms. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. Um, it's basically one way to think about, about it is teach the computer to perform these set of limited tasks and judge and make decisions just like a human would, um, but perhaps in a in a more automated or faster way. So you can think about, for example, uh, the, the approach of targeting uh, herbicides to specific weeds you show a picture to a farmer uh, and there is a corn plant and a weed, the farmer will right away distinguish them. If we teach the robots, to, uh, sorry, the computers to do that, the computers then can then know when to spray the herbicide and when not to do it. Okay, so we're not just using it to help us out on the research side of things in the lab. We're actually developing practical in-the-field use technologies with AI that, that farmers can have access to hopefully someday in the future. For sure, um, a, a lot of my research as a plant, my research as a plant bre- breeder is how is leveraging new methods and using AI among other things to uh, improve and accelerate research. But there are a lot of developments on how to improve crop production and crop management, and how to make some of the processes in, in agriculture more efficient. Uh, the other way to think about it is you can train the, the computer to do a certain task but also a lot of statistical prediction that is a field that exists for, for many decades, um, but a lot of it, when it's done in a computer, when we analyze a, a large amount of data, is considered AI. So you think about price fa- forecast or, or yield predictions, and, and all of these can nowadays be performed in the scope of artificial intelligence. Okay, great, great. 
So do you see something like this or, or what is the current availability of, of some of these technologies that farmers have access to? Are larger industries utilizing AI for weed control or for harvest selection and, th- and things of that nature? I know I, I think I saw a video once of, uh, you know, I guess I don't want to call them robots either, but this, these AI devices selecting ripe strawberries and, and picking the ones that are ripe. Yeah. So, so there are different estimates. I, I've, I've read something that some estimates that up to like 80% of the farms in the country already use some level of AI. Okay. And um, there's definitely a lot of new developments. So the, the mechanical harvest of strawberries is one where robotic arms can go and decide when, when it's ready or not to, to pick the strawberry. Uh, the targeting uh, weed uh, spraying is another one that could save some costs and, and deciding where to, to spray. And I th- yeah, I th- so I think, I think it's going to keep increasing it and there's certainly a lot of people working in ways to develop and to use these tools for yeah i know up at the research center at swanee valley they do a lot of variable rate irrigation where and i don't i don't know if that's exactly artificial intelligence but they have many soil probes throughout the field so they understand which area of the fields need what kind of moisture and so as they run a, a center irrigation pivot or a linear irrigation system through the field they can control which sprinklers turn on and when, and, and you know that's all being controlled basically without the farmer. They, they put the inputs in there to make it run, and then away it goes. And I was really blown away when I saw that. And when you think about the application for Florida, where we're trying to protect the aquifer, we're trying to use less water, I mean, what a, what a fantastic technology both for the grower and for the environment. Ex- exactly. I mean, some, some of these applications are... Um, they're, they're basically performing the same set of tasks and, 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 and aspects of agriculture that are currently done, so you can monitor soil health, you can uh, help diagnostic diagnosis of diseases, which you would have either the farm or crop scouts already do mm-hmm. that routinely, mm-hmm. but there are ways now that you might be able to fly a drone and, and do that detection more efficiently. Right. And, and, and Which is scary for me because that's what I pride myself in is my plant disease diagnostic skills. So they're going to basically uh, invent a robot that can do my job for me and I will be obsolete. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's where I, I emphasize, at least as of today, a set of limited tasks that uh, I don't think, that, at least as of right now, the expectation is that these computers will reason and you, you train them to answer a set of um, tasks and questions that you want to make more efficient, but there's a, still a human interface. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. No. And I mean, especially when we think about new and emerging pests and pathogens, you know, that aren't programmed for the computer to recognize. And so we'll, we'll always need people there to, to stay on the forefront of those and make sure we're, you know, the computer's not misdiagnosing something. Exactly. So. Yes. Excellent. Sweet. So, yeah, looking looking forward to see where that takes us with agriculture, with the rising cost of all of our inputs, fertilizer costs. Hopefully we can use this AI to help more, more accurately pinpoint what we need to put out there in the field so, you know, we drastically reduce waste and, and hopefully save us some money on the end. I, I believe it will. I mean, the, the idea of AI is not a, that new. It was actually, I mean, the concept was proposed back in the 50s, and we actually have seen waves where it became very popular, uh, the idea and the research around it in the 60s and 70s, and actually lose some steam in the 80s, and now we're seeing another wave 
the difference now is that we have a lot more computer power, mm-hmm. we have a lot more data that can be collected. So I, I do think that the decisions and the algorithms and the accuracies of these predictions, uh, they're going to actually have an impact and actually be used in, in many of these tasks. Sure. And I, I think the user friendliness of these devices is improving as well because right now we have such great data when we fly a drone over a field and we get the infrared data and we can see spots of stress and i think that's really great but it does give you just this huge dump of data after you, you collect all this and it may not be practical for some of our growers to sift through all that and be able to make a management decision based off of that so if we can kind of shore that up through ai and say okay well this is the image and this is this is what it means for you to do as, as, a, as a grower. You know, that's kind of where I see it. I've seen a lot of demos on AI and the, the beautiful spectrum photos that they're taking. And it's like, okay, how's the farmer use this? And is it really applicable to your, at your average farmer? But I think we're getting, we're getting a lot closer. Exactly. I think I agree. I think that's a lot of the, um, at one point, you first need to develop and demonstrate a proof of concept, but eventually to actually get used, uh, we can't, we can't create a situation where the growers now have to do a lot more work sure. and, and, and sure. it's just not going to be feasible. Nope. nope, absolutely not. So, Awesome, awesome. So so tell me a little bit more about um, your work. I, I'm a Nebraska boy, so uh, corn is, is my jam. <laughs> and, uh, you know, finding out that you're a sweet corn breeder is, is great. So um, what are we looking for in terms of traits that we're selecting for with our seed corn? I'm sorry, sweet corn. If I said seed corn, I meant sweet corn. Um, and, you know, how are you utilizing AI to help facilitate some of these genomic selection processes? Sure. So um, Florida plants uh, a large amount of, of corn, too, but not the type of corn that, that that's planted in the Midwest, right, field corn. Uh, we have here mostly sweet corn and as produced for fresh market production. Mm-hmm. So the corn on the cob that we, we buy in the supermarket is what uh, our growers are planting here. And we benefit from the window where... We can plant corn, especially in South Florida, and it's warm there, and it's still snowy in other places of the country. So that's um, that's really the, the advantage. Yeah. Um, so my job is as a as a plant breeder is develop and varieties that are better adapted or have better properties and can yield more and can help pull up Florida growers. Um, so plant breeding is a long process. We takes years to come up with new varieties because we have to test several combinations and screen for all the traits that are important. Sure. So back to your question on traits, we're constantly looking at um, quality, and that is an aspect of both from the grower's point of view, there's disease resistance, there is uh, tolerance to stress overall, how adapted the plant is. From the point of the consumer, um, what it, how, how pretty are the ears of corn? How green are the husk? Mm-hmm. What's the taste? What is the texture? How fresh do they look? Sure. And, and also, it's important to have yield, right? The grower needs the, that hybrid to produce a lot of, of A lot of ears. kernels on that ear and a lot of ears, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So in the case of fresh market sweet corn, we want the ears to fill the kernels all the way to the top, so we mm-hmm. don't want any gaps. Uh, and, and basically, yield is... is uh, accounted for as marketable yields differently than field corn where we just look at yeah bushel spray <laughs> sure sure okay great so um so filling out the ear making sure it's sweet making sure it looks nice yeah great yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, earlier I was mentioning to you before we started the podcast that I thought that Nebraska had the largest acres of sweet corn. That's not true. We have the largest acres of popcorn, oh, I believe, in the nation, and that's a whole different uh, method of, of trying to analyze which is best. There's popability, and there's all sorts of different traits in there. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, so awesome. So obviously you you do a lot of this breeding you know, in the lab, but you're taking these um, plants out into the field to phenotype them and, and and all of that or to make sure that the traits you're breeding for are, are there in the, in your progeny, in your baby corn. So, uh, between your, you know, lab work, field work, how does, how does AI fit into, to, to your research? Yeah. Uh, there are a few different ways that it does. Um, and for example, one routine that every plant breeder in any species needs to do is, as you said, phenotype, right? Is to measure a large number of different varieties. And you can think about these as, test sets and potential candidates for things that will get to the growers field. And we need to basically go to the field and measure them and decide which ones are the best. So this is a, a labor intensive process and it takes time. It takes, um, sometimes you have a short amount of time to measure these plants. So for example, one, one thing we are doing is taking pictures of the ears. So we still harvest the ears out of the plant and take pictures of them and basically calibrate it, have the computer measure what is the width of the ear, what is the length of the ear, how much, what percentage of the ear is filled all the way to the top. What is the color? Is it a bright yellow or is it a boring yellow? Mm -hmm. And basically in one image, we can have the computer convert that into a lot of information that we can later decide whether that variety should be kept in the program or not. Awesome. So man, that's that saves a lot of time just going out there and snapping a photo versus bringing out your measurement tools and, and doing all that in the field. That's, that's great. Exactly. Uh, I, I can kind of, see, I have this image of in my head of you and a bunch of graduate students out in the field, phenotyping for sweetness and durability, you know, and taste. And you're just out there eating sweet corn <laughs> off the cob in the field. That is absolutely <laughs> how I do it and, and how oh, really? students do it too. <laughs> so not a lot of people know, but uh, sweet corn, you can actually eat right just off right out out of the, the plant. Yeah, and yeah. during... I, I said that facetiously, but, you know, and I don't mean to cut you off, but are there methods to, to detect that scientifically? Like, can you um, predict taste based off of sugar content or starch content or something like that? So th- there are a few different ways to, to look at flavor in, in the breeding program. And one is basically the, in corn, we call it the, the bite score, where the breeder <laughs> literally walks the field and bites hundreds of different corn varieties oh, and decides which job. ones are the best. <laughs> but as you can imagine, if you were to eat a bite of hundreds of varieties towards the end of the day, your your moods towards corn is not necessarily <laughs> the same. True. And that can very well affect your that's, rating. Yeah, right? that's true. Um, the other way to do it, or, or one of the other ways to do it, is to establish sensory panels where you work with food scientists and actually invite a lot of people, give them a few varieties and, they, and basically get collectively score yeah. well and that, people like it and that makes sense too because you know taste is such a subjective thing it, what tastes good to someone may not taste good to someone else so it, it's, exactly it's good to get a lot of data on that the the caveat of that though is we can't feed in one sensory panel we can't give a hundred of hundreds of varieties to people right True. so it's usually very limited in scope and if we set up a sensory panel now, you're usually giving four or five different varieties for people to score, which is not very suitable for the scale of a plant breeding program. We're typically dealing with hundreds of varieties at once. Mm-hmm. 
in early stages to select the best ones. So one of the things we did actually, and this work was done in, it was actually done in tomatoes and blueberries, and, and I can comment in a little bit why, but the, the goal was we uh, went to, the, to these different varieties and looked at the chemical profiling for them. We looked at how much sugar, how much, how much acid, what was the volatile composition that these tomatoes and blueberries plants had, and these plants were then fed to people in a consumer panel as well. So this was an effort that took several years. It was a lot of data. There were a lot of sensory panels and a lot of data points. But it now creates a point, a situation where we feed this to the computer now and we train the computer to look at how can chemical profile, chemical composition predict how someone likes a given tomato or a given yeah. um, blueberry. So... Once we do all this training, basically we're teaching the computer to look at a certain set of um, chemical compounds and, and identify whether people will like it or not. We can in the future go to a new set of, say, blueberries, and now we don't need to undergo the... As, we don't need to do the sensory panel anymore. We can sure. just look just, at the... You can just feed it to the machine and exactly. it'll tell you. <laughs> awesome. F fruit and vegetable eating robots. Yeah. to predict taste. That's great. And so you mentioned uh, blue blueberries and tomatoes, I believe. Yes. Is this something, uh, and I, I think I've seen that publication out there, so that research is, is done and it's been published. Um, are you are you working with the same type of technologies with sweet corn as well? We we are starting, so uh, it, takes, um, it, it takes a large amount of data. Uh, a, lo a lot of data needs to be collected for, for you to calibrate these models. Sure. So the Blueberry Breeding Lab, which is led by Dr. Patricia Munoz, and the Tomato Genetics uh, Lab, uh, led by Dr. Harry Klee, over the last few years, they have been collecting this data. And that's why we were in a position to actually uh, establish this as a proof of concept and see how well it would work. Um, the idea now is to see what are other crop, which other crops can we do the same thing mm -hmm. But you need to train the computer again. So you need to go and generate varieties for sure. different crops, put them in the sensory panels, quant uh, look at the chemical profiling of them, and use the same algorithms. Wow. So it might take a, a few more years. Till sure, <laughs> sure. But it's, it's, it still seems like it's moving forward at the speed of light. I, I know from your angle, I'm sure it seems like it drags on and on to get all that data. But uh, from the consumer standpoint, it's like, wow, this is we really are in the future. <laughs> yeah. Plant breeders are typically responding to demands and demands from stakeholders, whether they're consumers, whether they're growers. Um, for, for many years, the focus of selection was uh, grower-oriented traits, right? The growers need to, to make money. They need to have varieties that are profitable. So many fruit and vegetable breeders, they actually emphasized selection for yield for disease resistance just so we had the best varieties in the field mm -hmm. uh, recently we're seeing some an increased demand from from consumers that actually want their fruits and vegetables to taste more taste better mm -hmm. and if you go to the supermarket and you eat a fruit or a vegetable that's really good their data shows that you're more likely to go back and consume more sure. and buy more of that so yeah um i think what what we did was is to add one more tool to the breeder. It's not the only one, but it's just one more way by which we can select for high, for good tasting varieties. Yeah. 
and it's such it's such a a very demanding will demand <laughs> really because someone will be like well i grew up in illinois or something and i had this variety and it's just the sweetest and most delicious why can't i get that in florida and you know they don't realize that the growing conditions we have down here are just extremely different or any from any state to state or even across states um, throughout states the corn we grow in the western nebraska is different than the corn we grow in eastern nebraska but so as the breeder yeah and the grower the producer you have to be able to try to breed some of those great growing traits that we need here in Florida, like disease resistance and drought stress tolerance, and then still end up with something that tastes like it did when it was grown in, in Illinois or Nebraska or something like that. And that's such a difficult job. And I know that the, the mark, you know, the market demands those kinds of things from us and they want it immediately, but it, it certainly takes time. And, and that in itself is an yet another application of AI into plant breeding research. There's a lot of uh, work being developed in this field, and we actually are doing some of that in, in sweet corn as well, which is train the computer to look at the DNA of the plants. So now we're not looking anymore at the chemical p- composition. We're looking at the DNA uh, of the plants and predicting how those plants would perform in a different environment than where the breeders are testing wow. it. So that's not really GMO. We're not really changing the, the, the structure of any genes, but we're just learning from what the genetic code of sure. the different varieties are telling us. Sure, it's like Ancestry.com. You know, they <laughs> it, it, it's basically a similar, similar idea. We're looking at how different plants are related and predicting then whether they're going to do well in Florida or if, if the climate changes, if things get warmer and... and what are going to be the best varieties that will perform in these new environments? And wow. There's a lot of work going on in that, in that field. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, 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 I think listeners, you know, hopefully will, and I, I, th- I think there's a little bit of pushback when you start talking about technologies and food production, people are, scra- are scared of Franken food and we have a fear of GMOs and, and, you know, when we start talking about artificial intelligence in agricultural production, I know people might reel back from that, but it's it's not uh, it's not in any way manipulating the genomes. And we're not using it to do any of that. It's just basically crunching the data for us. And and um, yeah, it's nothing to be scared of. It's just a great tool that we have to meet those again those consumer demands of great tasting. But hey, it's going to grow in like ninety percent sand soils in Florida and <laughs> and in our hot hot weather. So that's that's great. Um, is there anything um, else you know for from your side of things that just how, how AI is, is working. Uh, you mentioned the awesome imagery and the taste profile. Is, is that kind of the two main areas? Or um, Yeah, I mean, I think those are the main areas that we've been working on. Uh, and there are several other areas within agriculture that can benefit from AI and different research groups at University of Florida and elsewhere mm-hmm. that are working on, on these tools. Ultimately, the goal is just how can we make things Cheaper for the growers, cheaper for uh, less, less, more inexpensive for the growers, more inexpensive for the consumers, how we can maximize profitability. Realistically, these tools are only going to get adapted if that's the case, right? If the, either the process is more efficient, if we can uh, save them costs. In research, in plant breeding, that's the same thing. If it takes me 10 years to develop a variety, if I can shorten that cycle, that's a technology that would help. Or... If it's, I can just do a better a better job increasing the gain, say in, in the same time span, developing a better variety than I could if I didn't have the, these technologies, then 
you're ad, ad, absolutely a, a, a benefit. Sure, sure. Awesome. Um, well, as, was there anything else you'd like to mention about your program at all while I have you here? Or I appreciate you for coming in, and uh, I learned a lot. I, I wasn't aware of some of these applications of AI and, and how the researchers are using them. So I always learn something from these podcasts, and I hope our listeners have too. So I, I enjoyed the conversation. Right. If there are any further questions, be happy happy to answer them. And, and let's all eat more sweet corn. It's delicious. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Great. Well, I appreciate y'all's attention. Thank you for tuning in to the Alachua County Extension Ford podcast. Until next time, see you later.